The subject for the evening talk is the ultimate sea of non-realization. As human beings and as human beings hopefully with a certain caring and serious view towards life we find ourselves grappling and sometimes constantly grappling with our relationship to life and in a way which there is a struggle inside of ourselves to know what the truth is, what the reality actually is. And we might say in this struggle it has taken two primary modes and each one has felt to be extremely important in its own way. And one of them has been the scientific mode, which, with or without instrument, has endeavoured to look into things, look into particulars, and try to understand what they are and how they influence and affect each other. And there's a willingness and a determination there to get down to the very bare of barest actualities to get to the, the root of things. What this world really is made up of. And this inquiry and exploration, though taking similar forms and dissimilar forms, we might describe it as primarily the scientific mode. The insights and the discoveries and realizations of these, this mode has affected enormously both directly and indirectly human consciousness and as a result of some of these discoveries and realizations the world of its particulars and what is around us has in fact become manifest. But it's not the only mode which is used and we find too that there is the religious in the deeper meaning of it or the spiritual or mystical mode 
in which there is the same urge to break through the apparency of it all and to see whether through that one can come to the root again, the, the, the ground of things, the fundamental reality, and abide there, or at least be fit to receive it, to be ready and receptive for that. And with that, it has been said that such a realization, unlike in the scientific mode, which may not directly affect the scientific consciousness as such, has on the individual, in that realization, a dramatic impact. In which there is a discovery which not only affects one's intellectual powers, but affects the heart in such a way that out of it comes goodness and love and kindness and care and the human virtues which we appreciate insofar as the virtues of others affect us day in and day out. And we might say to quite some degree that equally the way that this world is and shows itself has been and continues to be influenced by these religious realizations. And we might put that because the mind and the condition and state of the mind is so significant, we might put that into the field or into the area of the psyche. The psychological, in using the word psychological in its broadest sense, the psychological experience which has occurred for somebody in which the ground has been discovered or the source has been discovered or the greater has been found and the person is never the same since and showing itself in those qualities of heart and mind I refer to. Now, in all of that, there are suppositions. And we might say with it, that the various views which occur and the impact 
which it is, which is, listen, various realizations which occur, and the impact which it has on one's life, at the psychological level, or at the scientific level, no matter how deep the experience is, or insight is, and no matter what the outflow of it is in the relationship to life, doesn't in fact prove that the mind, scientifically or psychologically, has realized the reality. Then one is faced with an extraordinary difficulty. Because the very difficulty would be to allow oneself to experience a residue of doubt in everything that the mind has come up with in its view of life for everyone without exception and in that murmuring that murmuring of that doubt which is taking place one is basically willing to walk the difficult tightrope in life of not giving ultimacy to any kind of realization or event or insight. No matter what. And then inwardly, spiritually, that's the heart, existentially, as a human being in existence, and psychologically, the totality of our inner life, we're in a very awkward state. Because that might mean for us that if that doubt murmurs on, we just go back into the field that's familiar. The everyday and the ordinary and the variety of particulars. And thus peculiarly, the mind then 
finds neither contentment in this world of particulars can never be happy in it, never, really. And neither giving affirmation to some ultimate seeing of truth or, put it another way, as it were, some ultimate reality. Neither in one, because one has experienced it for donkey's years and one knows the satisfactoriness of it all, and neither in the other, because something senses it's just a perspective. A transforming perspective it might be, which might one make a person a, a completely psychologically healthy human being, full of all human goodness, but still it's the perspective that there is the particular, <coughs> the particular is not the ultimate truth, this is the ground of beings, that's the truth. Or however we phrase it. Or both are the truth. So I wonder, is this the only kind of mode open to us? Then one looks again, meditatively, and care, and so forth. And one rather sees, there is this world that we are living in, and ourselves as belonging to it, and in it, and not ever different from it, it's part of the, what's going on. And in our looking at this world, as we make we, we contact with it, we see again and again the difficulties, the conflicts and the pains and we wish to dissolve them, be free from them in order to see more. And so as serious human beings we engage in the approaches to see through in order to see more and we do see through problems and difficulties with observation and working on them, etc, etc, etc. And as a result, this mode becomes the way. The way to find the reality, what it really boils down to. But if we give consideration to another mode, and rather than seeing this is the problem, the problem like the world is, the problem like the problems of our mind and heart, the problems about realizations and what they mean and the flow on and the flow out of. If we look perhaps in another way and say perhaps the difficulty is not so much in these areas and the perspectives and the views and the perceptions which we discover, but perhaps the real problem is there in the very forms of language that we use 
and what the words and the concepts and the ideas come to mean for us. Not in the experiences, not in the nature of the world, but rather in the way the language that we are using sets things up. Really sets things up. I have a certain view of this world, or views, and I find in my views and perceptions and uh, perspectives, I find them useful and constructive and, and helpful. I, I have the view of change and changes are taking place, and that contributes to my psychologically letting go and not clinging so much. I have the the view of the world that um, the ego structure has no real substance to it. it it's, it's a combination, it's a complexity, and can be seen through, and I can see its essential non-selfness about it. I have the view that life is flowing and ebbing. I have the view that life is together and is unity and is one. And, with, and we might feel at times, and experience at times, this is the way the world is. So sometimes we have a simple everyday view of the way the world is, and sometimes there is the, the grand experience of it, the grand fact of it, the transcendent actuality of it for us. And in either case, I have to affirm one or the other. And if I'm going to affirm one or the other in some way or other, I have to fix it with my language, with my words. And when I am fixing this world with my words, I am basically given, giving to it a description. I am describing a way of looking at this world. Whether I use a scientific mode or a psychological experiential mode, nevertheless, one or the other, in some way or other, says, it is like this. And then I see, begin to see this, see. What the, 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 the does? I begin to see that realization maybe doesn't matter 
maybe is unimportant, completely, ultimately, actually, factually unimportant. That its unimportance, dare I say this, is so important that either conventional, everyday, ordinary, or grand fact, or grand design, superbness, immeasurability, or whatever, either way is only saying something about me and not about life. Then I look, look into all of this and all this whatever it is. And I hear these concepts, all these terrible concepts. And I hear the concept uh, emptiness. I hear it from the Buddhists who like to think they know what they're talking about. And I hear them use it and they speak of it as uh, like this is the way the world really is. Nothing has a, a self-existent. It doesn't take much to see that, does it? Surely a little meditation reveals that. Looking into things, where is its, where is its substance? Where is its independent existence? Where, where, where is its self-nature anywhere? And one dispenses with these miserable theories of the particular and of the some soul or some permanent entity inside. You know, surely just a little... 45-minute meditation dumps that mythology out of the window. And so one, one, one looks at, into all this world of things and, and particulars and differences and sameness and so forth. And in the seeing through all of that, the absence of self-nature is the same Meaning the same sense, shall we say, as emptiness. Emptiness of individual, independent existence. Called emptiness. And so one says, I want to realise this emptiness. Because all I see when I open my eyes and my ears is this and that, here and there. One thing and another thing. That's all, all I see. I don't care about... God, I don't care about Buddha nature. I don't care about popping in and out of Nirvana every Sunday lunchtime. I just want to know this, this, this emptiness which dismisses the grand enlightenments and dismisses the uh, lovely ideas and just sees the emptiness of things because that, in fact, is the reality. 
might be cold, it might seem brutal, it might seem hard, but let's come down to it, that's what it is. And so a person has then taken hold of this concept or perhaps hasn't taken a hold of the concept and goes from non-realization to realization and with it puts out intellectually, psychologically, scientifically, emotionally and spiritually the nature of emptiness as this is the way that it is. And thus it fits in all the areas and one can feel very comfortable. Scientists can't object to it, religious heart and mind can't object to it, the spiritual can't, the psychological can't. And then one has got it. Or one goes another way with it and says, one takes up this theory, takes up that theories, and one says, ultimately, all the theories, all the ideas, all the perspectives and views on life, no matter how much one is changed by them, is a view. And therefore, one says, therefore, the truth, the reality, the fact is that it is non-view. To have a view is to be stuck. And that this appeals to the mind. It appeals to the mind because one says, well, that's yes, yes, yes. <laughs> not scientific, not religious, not psychological. What, you know what one of the sages says of such people? Such people who take hold of emptiness and, and this is the nature of things. Such people who take hold of no view as it. One of the sages said, such a person is incurable. So perhaps, <coughs> in our inquiry and in our looking and exploration into things, perhaps the emphasis, as I mentioned, must come off this so-called world. that the very description makes it what it is. It doesn't create it, it makes it what it is. The very language fixes it. And so when we start using it, and we say, this is, the world is, 
we give it that isness. We give it that suchness. And then we move the other way. We say the world isn't. And then we look complete idiots. How can one live and say the world doesn't exist? And so perhaps emptiness is not really saying anything about the world. It's saying something about the language. Something about words. Something about views, perspectives, around words, around descriptions. And if we see, if, we, if, if there is, let's say if we see, if there is an emptiness in all this language, Then where are the particulars? So where is the coming and the going? Where is this self, no self? Where is this birth, death? Where is this ultimate, ultimacy and ordinary? Where is this practice? Where is this going from this to this? So perhaps realization isn't really saying anything about anything. It's not confirming anything. 
And if one has a, a view in any way, either in the past, what I have realized, or what I am realizing, or what I may realize, it only gives reality to the problem. It only sustains the mythology from this to this. No realization. If there is any taking up in any way of that, stuck, incurable. such not taking up, not interested to take and posit position or no position, having no interest in it, not bothered about fixing what the world is, what the reality is. The mind becomes peaceful. just becomes peaceful. And one is not fooled by science, experience, by events, and especially by language, by words, by concepts. Thus, nothing is left to be said.
may all beings see, may all beings live, may all beings be. So let's have a couple of silent minutes together. Given the theme of the talk, perhaps it would be more appropriate to say, may all beings not see. <laughs> so, uh, this period now is uh, the sitting, walking, meditation, then we have the, the group sit in half an hour. Just a final word. In the talk this evening, it is quite essential to bear in mind that it was simply a talk. Being a talk, it was full of words. The words were just words. 
and not saying anything about <coughs> anything. So in sitting and listening, the mind may respond with, it's just words. Mind may respond, I understand bits of it. Or it may respond, I understand that. And whatever the response to it is just the response to it. So whether there is no understanding or understanding doesn't matter one iota. <coughs> 